This entire month, it's really about Christmas. And we here at the bridge always make it about Christmas. And this year, I've kind of chosen a little bit of a theme that says Christmas is a big deal. And in my world, in my life, in our home, and in, in our church, Christmas is indeed a big deal. The first Sunday of this month, I shared a message with you about Christmas, and I started with that topic, that theme. Christmas is a big deal. And one of the things that I did in that message, I shared the fact that Christmas is about blessing, God sending blessing into our lives, and then we are to release that blessing and be a blessing to others. And so out of that, I encourage you to bring people to our Christmas services. And can I just tell you, last Sunday, the second Sunday of December, we had our annual Christmas production, and they did an outstanding job. It was great. And the cool thing is we had 50 people come and get these packets, accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's why we do this. So it was really, really cool. And then today... Um, I'm going to talk more about Christmas being a big deal. I'm going to hit it a little more from a doctrinal standpoint. We had a lot of fun last week, but I'm going to hit it a little more from a doctrinal standpoint today. And then next week is our Christmas Eve services. And Christmas Eve, we have two services next Sunday because it is Christmas Eve. Everybody's, you know, going places, getting the last-minute preparations in place. We have one service at 10 o'clock in the morning, one at four in the afternoon. We're having a candlelight service. Uh, these are special times. We'll be reading the Christmas story and all the pastors will be sharing. We'll have a great uh, acoustic set of music, a lot more, uh, a lot different from what we normally do on Sunday morning, but it's just beautiful. It's so great. You don't want to miss that, plus the candlelights uh, next Sunday morning. So I want to encourage you to be here. But today, I really want us to look at the message of Christmas. And if you've got your Bibles, open to Ephesians 2. If you don't have it, we'll have it on the screen here in just a moment. But first of all, let's pray before we get into God's Word, okay? Father, we love you today. We thank you for all that you have done in our lives through Jesus. All you have planned for us, we accept those things because of Jesus but I ask this morning, the next few minutes, that the Holy Spirit would just touch our hearts once again and renew the message of Christmas, that we never lose sight of what's important in this season. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians 2, look at verse number 4. Eventually this morning, I'm going to read down um, probably through verse 6 or 7, but I want to start right now with verses 4 and 5 of Ephesians chapter 2. Read with me. It says, But God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Now, pause here for just a moment. It talks about God's great love with which he loved us. When you begin to read about God's word in the or God's love in the original writings, it's always the word agape. And, you know, if you've been in church a long time, you know about agape love. It's a God's kind of love. But the, the beauty of this is agape love springs from the heart of God because he sees value in the object to which he extends his love. In other words, God loves us because he saw value in us. It's the beauty of it. True God love sees the value in something. When I was at my worst... God looked at me and he found value in me. And he loved me. That's the story of Christmas. Now, let, let's read on. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in 
trespasses. And the word trespasses here means our sins that we rebel against God and then the sins that we fall into not even realizing what we're doing. It's talking about all of our sins. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now, I want to share just three thoughts with us today in this service. And number one, I want us to remember on this Sunday before the Christmas weekend that God came to us. Let that sink in just a moment. You might say, well, big deal. We all know that. No, no, I want it to really sink in for a moment. God came to us. And I'm going to look at this at three different ways today. Number one, God came to us. We were unable to go to God, but when God sent Jesus, God came to us. In John's gospel, he doesn't share all the story of Christmas. He doesn't give us the story of Mary and Joseph and the angels and the wise men and the shepherds. He doesn't give us any of this. John simply jumps into the theology of it. And in John chapter 1, verse number 14, John said, And the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. John theologically said, here's, here's how it all comes down. The Word of God became flesh. God's Word, God's heart, God's thoughts became Mary's little baby. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us for 30, 30 33 years. Jesus was here, the Son of God, the Word of God. Why does it say the Word of God? Because the life of Jesus was a message to us. It was God's message. It was Jesus coming to tell us what God thought and what God was really like because there were so many misconceptions about God. But Jesus came to clear it all up. And he goes on to say in John 1:14, He came to us, God in the flesh, the Word made manifest in the flesh. He dwelt among us. And then it goes on to say, He was full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. I want to look at that for just a moment. Because number one, Jesus came... To declare truth to us. You know, six, Romans 6.23 makes it pretty clear. The truth is, when Jesus came, the wages of our sin was death. Jesus came to bring us face to face with the reality that we were estranged from God. We were not in relationship with God and we could not even go to God because our sins held us here and God was way up there. Man could not go to God. So at our very worst moment, God sent Jesus to come to us and declare the truth is your sins have separated you from God. That's truth. And the wages of my sin would be death. Separation from God forever and ever and ever. Death to the life of God. Death to the blessings of God. Death eternally. Everything God had planned for mankind. I was dead to it because I was lost in my sins. But when I could not go to him, he came to me. He came to us. 
That's the truth. He came to us when we could not go to God because of our sin. He came to us. But then there's a second part of this. He came with truth, but he also came with grace. I love the proclamations of the the Christmas story. There's so much good news to talk about. But if you go back for just a moment, remember when the angels appeared to the shepherds and the heavenly hosts began to sing and they had a message? The message was glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. See, God came. God came to us and his message was it brings God glory that on earth things are about to change There's going to be peace and goodwill toward men. I preach this all the time, but let me say it again in the Christmas season. Peace begins, real peace, God's peace begins when you can stand in his presence and feel no condemnation of sin. That's where peace begins. And what the angels were saying was everything's about to change because there's going to be an opportunity for mankind to come to a place of peace with God. Your sins have separated you. That's the truth. But the grace of God is extended and we can now know God for ourselves. Not only that, Simeon, which we saw last week in our Christmas production, When Simeon held that baby boy, his very words were, Lord, let your servant depart in peace, for now I have seen the salvation of the Lord. I've seen the saving grace. I've seen the word manifested in the flesh. He's here. I'm ready to go now because I've experienced the salvation, the saving power of God. The angel spoke to Mary. The very words of the angel were, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. God came to us right in the middle of our mess and our destruction, and he said, I'm about to change everything. I am going to save you. That's the message of Christmas. You see, God came to us, but he came to save us, not condemn us. He came to save us. Not to condemn us. As a matter of fact, as you read through the Christmas story, at least six times you will find the word salvation, savior, or save. Because the message of Christmas is God came to rescue us and close the gap, the gulf between God and man. John 3, 16, everybody knows John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But the next verse says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I've run across a number of people in my lifetime who've said to me, this Jesus thing won't work for me. And I say, why is that? It's because my life has been too horrible, too ugly, too bad. I've done so many shameful things. God would never accept me. And I've had the joy to look those people right in the face. And maybe you're here today with those very same thoughts. God could never love me. I'm here to tell you today, God sent his own son here not to condemn you, but to save you. You were already condemned in your sins, but God not only sent his son, he put him on a cross to pay the price for your sins so that you could know God for yourself eternally. That's the message of Christmas. He didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. What a beautiful thought. Our text says, but God, 
who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace, you have been saved. Number one, God came to us, not to condemn us, but to save us. And had Jesus not come to earth, we would still all be dead in our sins eternally. But Jesus came. This Christmas season, I want to remind you, and I hope this will stay with you, maybe not these exact words, but in some way I hope these words will stay with you from Christmas to Christmas. Always remember the Christmas message. God came to us with a destiny, but his destiny was the cross. God came to us with a purpose, and his purpose was to be the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He came to save us. Then number two, look if you would at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. I want to show you something interesting. A second thing about Jesus coming to us. Hebrews 4, verse number 14, it says this. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. What it's really saying is stay in agreement with God. Grab the promises of God. Believe the promises of God. Keep his promises on your lips and keep saying what God has said about your life. Stay in agreement with God. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And finally, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Number two, God came to us, not just to save us, but number two, he came to intervene on our behalf. You know, I think sometimes we think nobody has ever had to go through what I'm having to go through. You ever been there? Does anybody in the room ever have a problem you can't solve on your own? One, two, 17, 148, nine. It just keeps adding up. Yeah. We all have those times in life when it feels like nobody knows, nobody understands, nobody's ever been through the pressure that I'm under. I share this now and then because it, it, it reminds me of a lot of things, but it's, it's so true because you may have a similar background. One side of my family... And some of them may be watching today, so I'll have to explain to my aunts what I'm talking about. But, but if they are, one side of my family, I mean, they were like the martyrs from the beginning. Nobody has ever had to suffer the way that I suffer. When they've had problems, nobody's ever been through what I've been through. Can I tell you something today? Life is full of challenges. And sometimes we face moments of struggle. We face times when we battle. We go to war for what God has promised to us. But the truth of the matter is, you are not going through something today that hasn't already been defeated by Jesus himself. I don't care what it is. 
In this Christmas season, you may be a person of faith. Maybe you've been walking with God for 60 years. That's wonderful. Or maybe 40 years or 20 years or 10 years. Maybe you're a mature believer and you're never going to stop following Jesus. But yet maybe you're facing something right now that's really challenging you and it's a real struggle and you are fighting the good fight of faith and you're saying, God, I'm trusting you, but I need you to come through. Can I tell you something today? Do not turn loose of your profession of faith. Do not give up on the promise of God. Do not let go of it because God is about to turn that trial into a victory if you keep walking with him. He's about to turn it around. And and the beauty of this passage of Scripture... It says we have a high priest in heaven, Jesus himself. And he has been tempted in all ways like unto us, yet he never sinned. He never lost a battle. And did you know that he takes that victory and he interjects it into our lives when we look to him for help? That's what he's looking for. That's why he said, hold fast to your profession because at some point in time, God's going to interject that victory into our lives. And, you know, I I think sometimes we really do think, well, yeah, but, you know, God doesn't understand where I'm at. How many times have we failed to go to God and talk to God because we just thought, well, God's not going to understand. It's not going to make any sense to him. Can I tell you, Jesus has already been through it, and he overcame it. Now, there is one little thing that some of you might throw up. Many years ago, I I met this minister, and he told me about a church down in the south where it it was a very large church for that day and a very strong church. But on Sunday mornings, they had Sunday school classes, and then after Sunday school, they had their regular worship service. And on Sunday mornings, they were known because, this church was known because it had a Bible teacher that was a great Bible teacher. He wasn't the pastor, but he was a great Bible teacher. And he taught a Sunday school class. But this was back in the 50s. And for whatever reason, they chose to have all the women sit on one side of the building and all the men sit on the other side of the building during the Sunday school class. Now, during church, they would sit with their families. But during Sunday school, women on one side, men on the other. And one Sunday morning, he was teaching this passage of Scripture. And he says, God has been tempted in all ways like unto us, yet without sin. And there was a gentleman sitting on the second row that raised his hand and said, Brother, can I ask you a question? He said, Sure, what's your question? He said, Well, you seem to be the Bible answer man. Do you really believe that Jesus was tested in all ways like unto us? Yes, I do. Do you really believe he never sinned? Yes, I do. Do you really believe he understands everything I'm going through? He said, Yes, I believe that. And he said, Let me ask you one more question. Was Jesus married? (laughs) And to that, I finally got an answer. That struggle's not over there. That struggle's right here. Amen? I don't want to get off on that. We'll get into that in February around Valentine's Day. But the fact of the matter is, every struggle of life, Jesus has already overcome it. Jesus has faced it all. And he now serves as our high priest and our advocate. So how do we... How do we go to God when we're struggling? He said, come boldly. Come boldly. Come boldly. Say it with me. Come boldly. Come boldly. Come with confidence. That doesn't mean arrogantly. It doesn't mean in our own goodness and righteousness. It means come boldly because of what Christ has done for us. Come boldly. Come where? 
to the throne of grace. Does anybody ever need grace? Come boldly to God. He has a throne of grace. Why? Why do I do this? Because we can obtain mercy and grace in times of need. There's some people right here in this service this morning. In this Christmas season, you're trying to get everything ready for Christmas, but your own heart is hurting because there's things going on that you're struggling with. Maybe with your family. Maybe at work. Maybe somewhere else. But wherever it is, maybe it's a personal battle you're fighting. But wherever it is, I want to encourage you today, don't run from God. Run to Him. Go to Him boldly and lay it all out. Put it at His feet and let His mercy and His grace begin to work. Because... Because the same mercy and grace that saved you will meet you right where you are because you have somebody in heaven, Jesus himself, representing you, pleading for the mercy and grace of God to flow into your life. So run to him today. Hebrews 7 tells us that he's always, always, always interceding on our behalf. Hebrews 13.5 tells us He said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. He's always going to be there in the middle of every one of your struggles. So run to him today because number two, he came to us to help us face those struggles. Number three, third thing I want you to see, Galatians chapter four. I want to look at one more passage before we go back to our text. But look at Galatians chapter four. I want to show you one more thing. Galatians 4, verse 4. It's some more Christmas words, but it's not Christmassy. It's more doctrinal. Verse 4 says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law. Now, keep the verse up and stay here for just a moment. While we were under the law, the law did what? It pointed out our sin. The law showed us our sin. It was there to show us what's right, what's wrong. Here's the sin in your life because you're not living under the law. You're not living by the law, rather. But while we were under the law, God sent forth his son to redeem us. To pay the price to change our lives forever. And he goes on to say this. That we might receive the adoption of... As sons. I want that to sink in. I, I, I don't want to run past it. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, Pastor's nose is itching. <laughs> that we might receive the adoption as sons. Listen to me. That we might receive the fact that God wanted to adopt us. Let me put it this way. That you might receive the fact that God wanted to to adopt you. He chose you. He chose you. He wants to adopt you. It goes on to say this, verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Now, you, you got to see this. I mean, we teach this from time to time. But I think a lot of people fail to get this. 
God has put the spirit of his son in us. That's what it says. Throw that verse up there. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. And when the spirit arrives here, it begins to cry out, Abba, Father, my dear Father, Daddy God, you are my Father. There are a lot of Christians who never come to the understanding that they are now the children of God. Not stepkids, but they are the children of God. Number three, God sent his son. He came to us to make us his sons, his daughters, his family. You know, God doesn't even have grandkids and great-grandkids. He only has sons and daughters. What is your relationship to God? If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, the Spirit of Jesus is in your heart. And when the Spirit of Jesus lands in your heart, we begin to cry out the same thing that Jesus could cry out. My dear Father. My dear Father. Look at verse number 7. Therefore, you are no longer a slave. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. God came to us to bring us into relationship with him. You know, I remember years ago when I was a young pastor. Uh, you know, when you're a young pastor, you get thrown into a lot of awkward situations. Because it's, it's things you've not encountered yet. You ain't seen nothing yet, son. You hang in there a while. <laughs> but when you, when you encounter unusual circumstances for the first time, it, it's a challenge. I remember one day, and I was just a kid. You know, I was in my early 30s. I was pastoring this church. And these people in the church, precious people, came to me and said, we have a friend in the hospital. He's in bad health. He's not an old man. He's only in his uh, late 40s, maybe 50. He's a young guy, but he's got some real physical problems. He needs a miracle. He's losing his eyesight. He's about to go blind. He's got so many things going on in his body. Would you go pray for him? And so I asked the obvious questions. Is he a believer? Well, when he was young, he did attend another church. But he doesn't really go to church now, but he does have a church background. He's a little bit religious, but if you'd go see him and pray for him, it would sure be a blessing to us. So I agreed to go see this guy. I walked into his room, and of course his, his eyesight was, wasn't the best. And I walked in, and he's kind of looking at me, and so I introduced myself. I said, hi, my name is Gary Martin. I'm the pastor of such and such a church. And some of your family members, and I called their names, I said, they asked me to come see you and just to pray for you today. And this guy kind of looks at me and he says, well, I just want you to know my church doesn't believe what your church believes. And I said, really? I said, have you ever been to our church? No. You might not know what we believe. Well, yeah, I know exactly what you believe. And I believe you're saved by grace. I said, huh, I believe that too. No, 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 you all believe you're saved by works. I said, no, it's not true. This guy, I spent five minutes and he was, he was just, he was hateful to me. I'll be honest with you. He was harsh, you know. And, and especially being a young man, you know, I had a little bit of flesh in me. I just wanted to walk away and say, well, just go blind then. See if I care, you know. <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> See, when I was a young man, I'd be too proud to tell you that. But now that I'm a little bit older, I can tell you that. But, 
But I just thought, man, dude, what are you taking it out on me for? And so I finally told him, I said, you know what? I, I, didn't, I didn't come to have a discussion. I, I think you and I believe a whole lot more alike than what you know. And I know your aunt and your uncle, they don't believe that you're saved by your works. You're saved by grace through faith. Anyway, I said, let's throw that aside. I just came to pray for you. He said, okay, we well, can pray if you want to. I don't know if it'll do any good, but you can pray if you want to. Now, why do I tell you that? Well, I prayed for him that day. He did eventually get a little better and went home, but that, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story, very simply, is it's amazing how an atmosphere and sometimes our theologies and our beliefs can cause us to move away from God rather than moving closer to God. Because he saved us so that we could become his children. I'm going to assume for a minute that every person in this room knows Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I'm going to assume that for a moment. So when I do this little exercise, you'll know why I'm doing it. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You are a daughter of God. You are a son of God. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You are a son. Do you see what I'm doing today? See, I, I'm, not, I'm not a son and you're a cousin. I'm a son of God. My wife's a daughter of God. You're a daughter of God. You're a son of God. And what God's trying to tell us is, stop living like you don't know me. You're my children. Stop running from me. I want to help you. See, some of us have had rough backgrounds growing up. And it's hard for us to envision a, a really kind, loving father. I get that. I remember one time years ago, I was praying one day. And, you know, my dad and I, we were buddies. We were so close. But I remember one day I was praying and I had a problem, a situation that I didn't see any way out of. I, mean, I had a real problem nobody could solve. This is going to take a miracle. And all of my life, even in my early adult years, I mean, if I had a problem, I could talk to my dad. And if my dad could ever do anything to help solve my problems, he was always there for me. Always. And one day I was praying. I was saying, God, I've got this need. And God, this is impossible. I really need you to intervene in this situation. I've been praying for weeks. God, I've got to have a miracle. And the thought ran through my mind, I wish God was as nice as my earthly dad. Because if he was, he would have already taken care of this. And all of a sudden, the scripture began to run through my mind. If you being evil can give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father want to give good gifts to those who love him, those he loves? And I realized, had a blockage in my brain... Not, not in the arteries of the veins, none of that. I had a mental block in my mind that didn't recognize that in this area of life, God was still my father. And he wanted to take care of things. I think a lot of us have blocks that we think, well, I can open up the Christmas package and there'll be this and this and this and this, but there'll never be this right here because that's just my cross to carry in life. No, your cross to carry is to serve Jesus and become the person he created you to be. He already carried that cross for you. The provision for this life is already ours. We need to stop living like slaves. Throw that last verse up there again. 
We need to stop living like slaves and start living like the children of God. This is good. I'm going to let it soak in this morning. There's somebody here saying, well, this is a little new to me. Well, you know what? It's been there all these years, just like the rest of the scriptures. You just need to spend a little bit of time with it. God has made you a son and a daughter. Now, let me talk about that for just a moment. How do you see God? You're no longer a slave, but a son. You are no longer a slave. You're not away from God. God came to us to save us. He came to get involved in your struggle. And he came to let you know you're now his child. You're no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter. And if you're a child, then you're an heir of God through Christ. If I'm a son of God, what is my relationship with Jesus, my Savior? We're brothers. He's my Savior, he's my Lord, but he's my brother. Romans 8 says he became the firstborn among many brethren. God sent his son because he wanted a big family. He wants you in it. Because he wants you to be a son. Or a daughter. How do you see yourself? As a slave? Or as a son or daughter? How do you approach God when you pray? Do you approach God like, well, you're a million miles out there and you may not even hear this, but I'm going to try it for a second anyway. And if it doesn't happen in the next two minutes, then I'll just forget about it. I know that, that I just don't deserve this stuff. Stop a minute here. How do you approach him when you pray? As a child with a loving father or as a stranger or a slave? How do you see his promises? I'm almost finished. How do you see his promises? Do you say, well, I'm, I'm not worthy of all of that? Of course you are. Of course you are. I didn't say you deserve it, but you're worthy of it. Why? Because of what Jesus did for you. See, we are not seen as who we are. We're seen through the eyes of who Jesus is. And it's his perfection and it's his cleansing blood that brings us into sonship and allows God to see us as his children. Therefore, we can now begin to see him as our loving heavenly father. Which means, hello, listen, is Jesus worthy of all the blessings of God? He is God. Is he worthy of his position? Come on, I need some help in the house today. Is he worthy of his position? Then his worthiness makes us worthy of our position. Oh, this is good. Somebody needs to grab this and take it home and put it in your Wheaties and eat it every morning. I am worthy because of what Jesus has done for me. My righteousness is filthy rags, but what Jesus has done has made me worthy of all the promises of God. When was the last time you read a promise and you thought, well, yeah, but I would never get that because I, I don't really deserve that. You know what? It's not about what you deserve. It's about what grace has brought us. And grace has brought us a position with God. We are his children. Let me go one step further. 
Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Because of his worthiness, we are now worthy of the blessings and the promises of God. They belong to the children. Say that with me. They belong to the children. One more time. They belong to the children. And last thing. I mentioned it last week in a couple of the services, but at Christmas time, I always think about, you know, John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. As children, God has promised us life, his life, now and in the world to come. God did not tell us to live this life on our own, and then when we get to the next life, we'll have his life. We have his life now. Everybody say now. now. This is hitting home with some people today. I can sense it in the crowd. Now we're the children of God. And back to our text in closing, Ephesians 2. I read verses 4 and 5. Let me go through it real quick and then add two more verses. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. But notice verse 6 and 7. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In the ages to come, now throughout eternity, he wants to show his exceeding riches, the power of his grace, and be kind to us because of Jesus. Last thing. I guess I'll ask it as a question. Do you know where God has positioned you? As his child, you're positioned in heavenly places with Christ. I'm living on earth, but I've got my fingers in heaven with Jesus. Are you listening to me? My nationality may be American, but when I die, I'm going home to heaven forever. I'm not going to be positioned with Christ. We are positioned with Christ in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to bow your heads this morning. I want to pray for you. Two prayers. First of all, I want to pray for everybody in the house. Father, take this word today. Simple thoughts that you came to us. Use them, I pray, Father. Use them, I pray. For those who are going through struggles right now, come to us right now in our time of struggle and bring us your grace and your peace and let us open up boldly and talk to you about what's going on. Father, second of all, I pray that people in this house will understand we are the children of God. We're no longer slaves. We're sons and daughters. Open up our hearts and let that rule within us, Father. Let us understand our worthiness because of Jesus. Then, Father, I pray for everyone in the house who might not know you right now. Let the Holy Spirit just knock on the door of their hearts, drawing them close to you.
While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, nobody's moving, please, just for a minute. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never come into relationship with God. Maybe you've never really prayed a prayer and said, God, I believe in your son and I need you in my life. Maybe you've never really surrendered and said, God, I I believe you've got better plans than I do. But I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now because you've heard the message today. God loves you so much he put his own son on a cross to die and pay for your sins that you might come into a relationship with God where you are his child and he's your loving father forever and ever. But there's two things involved. Grace which he's extended through Jesus. Number two, faith, which comes from your heart, and you have to reach up and accept what he's given you. We do that. It all begins with a prayer, with words. God, I'm in. God, I want you in my life. I want to lead you in a prayer right now and give you an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and begin that relationship with him. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm going to ask everybody here to pray this with me right out loud. Say, God, I need you. I open my heart to you. Please come into my life. I believe in Jesus. I accept him as my Savior. And I choose him to become the Lord of my life. Fill my life every day. Teach me your ways. I want to follow you. And I thank you today for loving me, for caring about me, for getting involved in my life. I will follow you. Everything is about to change because you love me. Amen.